time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 26 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is my co-host and the man of a million impressions, Patrick. I have no idea what that was, folks, but I can assure you it is Patrick. (laughs) This week, we celebrate the beginning of October by talking about a comedic horror classic, Young Frankenstein. (laughs) Aaron, I'm so glad that we're going to get a chance to talk about this one. When you told me that you hadn't seen it, I knew it was important that you did, and it's going to be a blast discussing it together. We got a couple of other fun October or Halloween type of films coming this month as well and kicking it off by celebrating the late, great Gene Wilder feels perfect. It really does. And I'm excited to tell you what I thought about it. Uh, But before I do, I did watch some great stuff this week that I want to chat briefly about uh, after a quick announcement. Announcement, announcement. Right. I know we need like a, a, a not a graphic. We need a. A sound effect. Sound effect for that. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I've had a couple of requests from listeners uh, privately uh, asking about if there was an option or if there was a way that they could donate to the show. Um, Amazing that people would even (laughs) come up with that, to be honest. It kind of blew me away. I've never encountered something like that, and it was certainly not something I was prepared to answer. Um, But people expressed an interest. So, Uh, I did a little work, and we now have a PayPal button. Pretty simple. Uh, If you go to our website there on the main page of feelinfilm.com at the bottom, uh, the same place where you can click the link to join the Facebook discussion group, ding, 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 which I recommend. Uh, But right (laughs) next to that, you're going to see a little button that says PayPal, donate, something like that. Uh, You can click there. You can, if you are so inclined, you can make a donation. You can even do a reoccurring donation if you choose on a monthly basis. Totally not necessary, uh, but anything that we do receive, uh, we can tell you will be going directly to defer the costs or defray the costs of hosting and things of that nature. So it will all go to that. It will not buy me new couches that my cats have destroyed uh, or (laughs) (laughs) anything like that. So, the PayPal button's there on the website. It's also on the main Facebook page site. So if you go to the main Facebook page, you can click donate there. Um, but anyway, just wanted to let you guys know that that existed. Fantastic. Yeah. So about what I watched this week, because that is more important than any amount of money, to be honest. I got a chance after watching our special feature with my kids. We were sitting around and just... Uh, to kind of spoil my thoughts on it, we had a great time with Young Frankenstein. And so we were kind of in that old-timey comedy mood, and I briefly mentioned something about, hey, have you guys seen you know Monty Python and the Holy Grail? And they said, yes, they had, and that they loved it. And I was like, you know what? I'm, f- I'm really feeling that right now. Like this is this, <laughs> this rolls into that kind of movie for me, and let's just throw it on. So that's what we did. We made a double feature of Young Frankenstein and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I got to tell you, man, I heartily recommend those two together. It is <laughs> a wonderful experience. Now, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a great experience anytime. 
but it, well, as is Young Frankenstein. But when you put them together, it, it just made for a super fun, hilarious ni- uh, night. The kids had seen a little bit of it before, and so now after the second viewing, they're starting to quote it, and I, I could not be happier. I mean, it just lights me up with joy. Patrick, I know you remember, you know, back when we were kids, this was like a <laughs> this was like one of the biggest movies that we watched on repeat. When oh, would, it was. When we would Absolutely. have slumber parties, we'd get together yeah. and we would just quote this sucker to each other while it was playing in the background. And was that was that before or after we went out and rolled our friends' houses? Usually, that... usually before because we would do okay. that late, late at night. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. So anyway, I just wanted to say. You know, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of comedy generally, and I don't like all of Monty Python's stuff, but that movie will forever be a classic to me, and I love that my kids are into it. Um, the other thing that I watched that I wanted to touch on actually happened tonight, right before we were recording. Uh, I got to watch the premiere episode of HBO's new show, Westworld, which is based off of, I believe, a novel by Michael Crichton, if I correctly remember. Um, and it also had a movie back in the, oh goodness, probably the seventies with Yul Brynner, um, that kind of doesn't really hold up today. I've seen it somewhat recently and it's just not, not as good now as it used to be, but this That's is, a, it doesn't have dinosaurs in it. <laughs> not everything Michael Crichton did had dinosaurs, <laughs> but <Really? Dang. laughs> I, I promise. Uh, but you know, the HBO decided to reimagine this one and, and kind of give it the, what I guess now we would leveling call the Game of Thrones treatment uh, from a production value standpoint. And man, this thing had had me pretty excited uh, when it got announced and it has only grown over time because the people involved in this, I mean, you have Anthony Hopkins. um, We've got JJ Abrams producing it. We've got Jonathan Nolan, the brother of Christopher Nolan uh, writing this. Um, It's just, it's got James Marsden, as one of the main and the leads. It's really, really intriguing. Um, the story, I personally, my favorite stories are sci-fi. And within sci-fi, my favorite thing is stories about artificial intelligence and the idea of an awakening of consciousness from something that we as humans have created uh, and what happens when that occurs. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> things like, 2001 with Hal to an extent and uh you know Moon has a as a robot that's very uh, aware and and just BSG um, BSG <laughs> Battlestar Galactica that we're watching right now um definitely would be probably a, a main major uh, qualifier for that the AI which I haven't seen yet much to my chagrin uh, but anyway uh, Ex Machina one of my favorites I could go on and on but anyway my point being is that's what this story is about and I love that. I love deeper sci-fi that's not science fantasy. I like the science fiction that makes me think. It makes me consider the world around me. It makes me bring in philosophy and religion and feeling and try to process all of these things as a human that I can't fully understand and get a grip on them and figure out what these social things are, you know, would be like, what these decisions would would be. And so I love it. And you put that in a Western setting, which I also really enjoy. And I heartily enjoyed the first episode. It was great for me. It was exactly what I wanted out of it. I will be tuning in every Sunday uh, for sure, watching this one. And hopefully it just gets better and better. 
Very cool, man. I didn't know that uh, James Marsden was in that. I remember him from his days on Smallville playing, <laughs> coincidentally, a guy named Brainiac. <laughs> I did not know he was Brainiac on Smallville. He was, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's a great actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. Very, he's got, very cool. he, he doesn't have any uh, laser eye powers in this one yet, but yet. <laughs> hopefully uh, we'll get to see those at some point. No crypto. Well, maybe he'll turn into a dinosaur. I mean, well, I'm just hoping. <laughs> <laughs> if you put Crichton's name on something, I'm hoping a dinosaur shows up. I see point. that. <laughs> so, <laughs> what about you? Did you uh, check anything out this week? This week uh, was pretty light for me. I had a lot of stuff going on, but um, last uh, maybe it was like two or three weeks ago when we host, when we did our um, our Goonies episode. One of our listeners, uh, Chad Hopkins, who hosts uh, hosts the host the uh, Cinemascope, blah blah blah. Let me try this again. <laughs> One of our listeners, Chad, who hosts the Cinemascope podcast, uh, a favorite of ours, recommended an episode of a show called Bob's Burgers to me, that was inspired by the movie. Now I'd heard of Bob's Burgers. It's a uh, if, if you guys are familiar with it, that you know that it's a cartoon show that's on Fox, and several of the seasons are available on Netflix. I'm not a big fan of the the half hour cartoon type thing. I was really into The Simpsons early on, and kind of got kind of got out of that. And then I watched the first few seasons of of King of the Hill uh, when it was on, but it's been a while since I've really gotten a chance to or really had the desire to watch a half-hour, uh, quote-unquote, adult uh, cartoon. And so he said, hey, check this out when you get a chance. And um, what's nice about, about where I work now is that, you know, I have a, kind of a longer lunch uh, than, than I had at my previous job, and so I have a chance to do several small things. And one of those things I can do is, you know, knock out a, you know, a 22-minute show. So... I uh, queued up Netflix and uh, popped in the um, the episode that he was referring to, and <laughs> had my headphones on. And let me just say, there were people around me that were wondering why I was giggling to myself. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> at my desk, it's a really clever show. It's um, he gave me like three episodes as what he called like a primer to kind of get into the series to catch you know capture the uh, the the humor. And it's a it's a it's a very fun show. It's one that I want to continue to watch here and there. Um, I don't have a ton of time to watch a, a lot of television. There are there's there's some shows that just have my attention by default. Uh, for instance, like This Is Us and things that I watch with my wife. But um, I like having the opportunity to try out new things that give me enough, you know, that that don't require so much time that uh, I can that I feel like I have to commit to a bunch of stuff. And so this is one of those shows that I can, I can watch maybe one or two episodes a week or maybe uh, a few every, every week and just really get a, a, a thrill out of it or not thrill, but uh, just a lot of, um, a lot of pleasure from it. It's a funny show. The jokes are, are hit and miss for me personally, but the episodes that I've seen make me want to watch more and kind of get a bigger, overall experience of it uh, so it's a it's a it's very it's a smart show it's one of those it's very has like just subtle comedy doesn't require you know with with animation you have to have good writing and this is up there with uh with things like simpsons and um and king of the hill so thanks a lot chad i appreciate it i'm going to continue to to watch and give you updates as i work my way through <laughs> and uh so yeah bob's burgers <laughs> 
it's good stuff, man. I, you know, I, he, when he recommended, I kind of, he talked to me a little bit about it as well. And I was just like, nah, not my, not my thing. So I think it's awesome that you checked it out and found it as a good show and you got enjoyment out of it. I do want to yeah. make one quick note. It is, it is the Cinescope podcast that Chad did runs. I say it wrong? You did. I did. And I just oh, want to make sure Cine- that listeners can get there. It's the Cinescope sorry. podcast. That's C I N E S C O P E. And ah. you can find him on Twitter at Cinescope Pod. So. Dang, autocorrect. Word did that to me. I think I wrote down Cinescope, and I think it corrected and said cinema. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably sure it did, but you know, I just want to make sure that they have uh, the means to get to him and find his yes. show because it's good stuff as well. Darn you, word! <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I guess we should just jump right into Young Frankenstein now. Let's do it. Uh, and you've seen this many, many more times than I have, I would assume. I don't know. How many exactly? But well, I've, I've seen I, I've seen it at least a hundred percent more times than you have since you had never seen this. <laughs> right, that's that's where I was going with me and my yeah. big, big, big Whopper one. So why don't you tell me? I guess tell us what you what did what made you want to do this? Because that let's just start with that. You picked this movie. When you picked this movie, all I knew of it was oh yeah, there's there's a movie that's called Young Frankenstein. I've heard of that. I know I think it's in black and white, and I think it has a dumb joke about the name like that's that is my understanding and that was my knowledge of young Frankenstein uh before i watched it or before you chose it for our schedule so what made you pick it well this was actually before the passing of gene wilder and so when he passed away um obviously i was not excited about his passing but i was excited about the fact that we had already had it on our schedule and that we were going to be able to do this but um I, i I love the fact that when we, as we're making our schedule out, we try to keep it somewhat thematic. Like I'm not, we're not so hard pressed. We're like, we have to have all Halloween episodes in October and Thanksgiving uh, themed episodes in November and you know things like that. But I began to think about, okay, what are we looking at in the theater? And is there anything, because I'm not, I'm not a huge, well, let's face it. I'm not a big horror fan by any means, at least not in compare, you know, comparison to, to you so I started thinking, what are some really, you know, co- what are some really fun movies worth checking out that have that kind of that horror theme that <laughs> I feel pretty good about talking about? And this this movie came to mind, Young Frankenstein. It's a movie that I did grow up watching, and the more that I watched it as I got older, the more I began to understand and appreciate Mel Brooks's comedic style, uh, the jokes that went over my head as like a nine-year-old started kind of hitting me a little bit more in the face as a 13-year-old and then as I got more exposed to his other movies like Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights I began to revisit this one because I've been told just like people you know talk about you should see this or you should see that that this was one of the movies that I should really take another look at when it comes to uh, to his m- movie library, and um, so as I've gotten older and I've revisited it, I began to appreciate his comedy a lot more. And as I began to understand his comedy a lot more, this particular one has become one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Mel Brooks comedies. And when we started developing this podcast, uh, about halfway through the summer, we were working on that like schedule. Like I said this seemed really fitting to do because I thought, Hey, this is great. And it surprised me that you had not seen it. 
So to me, that was both exciting and a little scary <laughs> because, <laughs> because as we'll, as we'll talk about Mel Brooks comedy is not for everybody. It's very specific or it can be very specific. Um, and so when, uh, when we, when we made that on the schedule, I'm, I was hopeful and, uh, I'm excited to hear what, what you actually thought of it. Well, that's awesome. I love that you had a little bit of nervousness about what I was going to think of it. That's one of the most fun things I think for both of us is when we do a movie that one of us has a very special place for in their heart, um, or in their history and, and has a, has a connection to and the other person hasn't really seen it or doesn't have that same memory of the film and then we have to see is it going to hold up <laughs> or what are they going to think because because I mean, we all want we all want people to love what we love that's right. a natural human response and a fan response if i love of the princess bride i want everybody else to love the princess bride too i don't want to spend my time defending it i want to spend my time that's part of what this podcast is all about it's about relishing in the enjoyment of talking about the things we love with the, with people, not, not spending our time like defending them, (laughs) you know? So I get your, your nerves completely, uh, especially because I'll tell you, I am not a huge Mel Brooks fan. And while I rate blazing saddles as an incredibly amazing film, it is much more so from an understanding of cinema that I do that than it is a pure enjoyment standpoint. You know, there are parts of that film that I really enjoy and I laugh at, but it's not as a whole, something that sticks out to me that I would rewatch over and over Spaceballs, Haven't seen it recently. Um, loved it as a very young child, uh, grown up. Uh, the first time I watched it as a grown up, I didn't connect to it nearly as much. Most of the jokes had kind of soured on me. Uh, I actually watched men in tights this week. Uh, our friend Chad at the Cinescope podcast. <laughs> Another plug. Guess we're just plugging him uh, all episode long. Not uh, Cinemascope. Not, not Cinemascope. <laughs> he did. Stop saying it. You're going to confuse him. Um, <laughs> so uh, he and just did an episode on Robin Hood Men and Tice. And so I fired that up uh, in the afternoon after work one day this past week and realized pretty quickly that it didn't hold up super well for me either. Parts of it did, but not the whole. So yeah, I kind of went in a little worried. Um, and what I did is I, I watched this one with my kids um, I, based on your opinion of it and based on what I had heard from other people about it, that it was, it was okay uh, that they could still potentially find it funny even you know 20 years after it was made or 30 years after it was made. And I'll tell you, man, it, it's amazing. So <laughs> um, you can rest easy. Not to bury the lead or anything. <laughs> I, I know. I was trying to think of like a better dramatic way to say that. But the, the point is this is easily, easily my favorite Mel Brooks film. And this is quite possibly the most perfect comedy I have ever seen. Wow. That's saying a lot. It, it really is. And, you know, I, I don't use that lightly. I know I throw around, you know, my love a little bit flippantly for films. There's no you know, harm in that. But when it comes to trying to say something is the best of the best, um, I try to be a little more reserved. This was an incredible experience for me. And not just because I watched it with the kids. I think I would have had the same type of response even without them. Um, but they, they liked it. So my 13 and 11-year-olds really enjoyed it. 
and that was a benefit to me that that made it better but i just loved it man every everything about it from start to finish there was never a moment i was not engaged there was never a moment i was not connecting to it and and laughing and watching it and just giggling under my breath so <laughs> it it hit the notes for my I, I should say it's my perfect comedy because there are different types of comedy right sure. and that's what we're sure. going to talk about mel brooks's style is not for everybody exactly. um, but this particular version of his style of comedy was my perfection and it just it felt to me like a labor of love from mm. him and from Gene Wilder and from everybody involved in this it felt like it just paid homage to the genre in a way that completely respected the source material but yet managed not only to stand beside it but in a lot of ways I would say eclipse it like I would watch this over Frankenstein any day of the week you know what I'm saying so I heart this movie. <laughs> that's great, man. That makes me happy. And and that's what makes Mel Brooks great for me. He has the ability to use his brand of funny, but still pay tribute to the genres he parodies. I mean, I think it's it's what makes good a good parody great. Uh, a balance of both your own brand of storytelling amidst the genre that you were working in. And in a lot of ways, it's like being a cover band. Um, you and I, have, we've been, we've been, I think in the last couple of weeks, we've been listening to, um, you've been listening to some some cover bands and I introduced you to um, a band called uh, Boyce Avenue. And uh, the thing that makes for me, and, and you can chime in if, if you agree or not, but the thing that makes those cover tunes great is that I get the familiarity of the song with the originality of the, the one covering it. And, and, and I think that that Brooks does this really well, in a few of his films, again, I grew up with the with the Spaceballs and the Men in Tights. That seemed to be my generation's Mel Brooks films. But Young Frankenstein really, really hits those notes, as you mentioned, really well. Because he, it, it works because it wasn't joke after joke after joke, which is definitely a style of comedy where there's just constant jokes and jokes and jokes. It just it felt like an old school horror movie complete with all the tropes that go with it, but more pronounced. And then you couple that with the great nonverbal sight gags and dialogue and the chemistry of all the cast, and you have what I consider an instant classic in terms of a great comedy. I mean, what he does is he has a unique ability to blend this absurdity into each genre he directs without distracting from the overall story. If I were to take out all the jokes, which would be impossible because they make up a good majority of the movie, <laughs> yeah. it would probably be a shorter movie, um, you would still have a complete three-act movie. You would still have a genuine story that you could that you could point and say, okay, this is what happens, and this is what happens, and this, this is what happens. It may not be Oscar-worthy. <laughs> it may not be something that's going to cause you to go, man, Frankenstein makes me think about life in a way that I never thought possible. No, I mean, it's not going to do that. But you see his originality in terms of how he tells his story. In fact, I loved at the beginning when I saw the credits roll, and it said, original screen story and screenplay by Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. And I'm just picturing these two guys hanging out in a hotel room or somewhere, coming up with this story, and then injecting these different jokes here and there, saying, you know what would make this work? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's try this. You know what would make this work? Oh, yeah, let's do that. And I just I smiled thinking how much fun it could have been, and it was for these two guys, this director and this actor, to put this thing together and to see this final product on the screen. 
Uh, it's just so much fun, man. Oh, it was it was a blast. It, it was the it was completely unexpected because even in Mel Brooks's er, earlier or I guess not earlier other films, um, you know, there's a lot of I had just watched Men in Tights, and there's just a lot of the kind of forced cultural humor that I don't care for. I mean, I don't care for fart jokes and, you know, sexual jokes and things that are repeated in order to kind of be shock value, you know, or something that doesn't fit within the story, something that is a complete genre changer, just just be, just trying to obviously be surprising and and take you out of the film this everything fit perfectly everything fit within the scope of the horror movie you know it all felt natural to me i never felt taken out of the world or out of the story and out of the moment yet some of it was goofy for sure but it felt like i was staying right there in that moment and in some other Mel, some of Mel Brooks's stuff doesn't do that. And even when this one broke the fourth wall, it wasn't so startling that it was kind of annoying. It was cute and funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was. It, and again, I, I think that goes back to moderation. You know, you mentioned that it's not just joke after joke after joke after joke after joke, and because of that, there's room to let each one sit and to enjoy each one before they're trying to cram something else down your throat. Disney doesn't do that. And I think the, the thing that I love the most about this movie is the physical comedy. And, mm-hmm. and that's not something I'm used to. I mean, I'm not a huge comedy guy. I don't go watch all the comedies in the movie theaters, but what I do see is largely revolving around this type of kind of grossed out humor for the most part that tries to surprise and make audiences give them a feeling of like, ah, you know, like, oh my goodness. Whereas this was, you got to think in this movie. It was a thinking man's comedy in a way, you know, you had to pay attention and you were rewarded for paying attention because things like, the way that Igor throws sand over his shoulder. It's <laughs> just, it, it's far off in the distance in the shot, but it's hilarious. Right. And there's nothing in the way that this movie is filmed that, that calls attention to the humor. So it doesn't right. say, Hey everybody look right here. Now laugh, you know, there's no laugh right. track. It's, it's all about the little moments. And if you catch them, which we did catch a lot of them, you know, it makes you feel even better about yourself because you were paying attention mm-hmm. and you got it. Right. And a movie like this, what I think you hit on is these layers and layers of thought that go into the different elements that make up the whole movie. And we've talked about this on the show before about how what we consider subjectively a good movie is a movie where all of the elements of the movie look and feel as though they're thought out, like the set design or the costumes or the background pieces, um, the dialogue, all these things working together. And Young Frankenstein does this in such a such a fantastic way that, as you mentioned, doesn't call attention to itself. So these almost become Easter eggs. And so the rewatchability of something like this is um, 
enhances that. For instance, I didn't catch the, the first time. This is, I mean, I've seen Young Frankenstein almost a dozen times, and this is the first time that I caught Peter Boyle's Frankenstein on his neck had a zipper <laughs> as one of his uh, little pieces of you know when when you know as part of his as part of his costume he had a zipper. Uh, on his neck to kind of hold it in place. I didn't notice that the dozen times that I'd seen it before. That's awesome. And even and it, it was even called out to. Yeah, I was going to say she made she made a made a joke about it. She did, and again, I didn't either. I didn't remember that joke or whatever. Or I thought that maybe um, because I knew what Frankenstein's monster looked like in the old horror tropes, I knew that oh yeah yeah he's got those scars that look like a zipper. I didn't realize it was an actual zipper, you know, and. It just makes me appreciate the entire creative team that went into uh, telling the story because it went beyond just the story itself. Everyone worked together to make each scene uh, rich and full of enjoyment. I don't feel like any any scene was just you know wasted. It was just like okay, let's put the scene in to get to the next one. It felt like every scene was thought out. The blocking. Um, one of my favorite scenes was the scene with, uh, I've said scene about 50 times. I'm sorry. One of my favorite ones was when Gene Wilder, uh, when, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, sorry, Frankenstein and Igor had gotten Peter Boyle's body from the gravesite and, <laughs> and, uh, they're trying to get him back to the, the castle and the, the policeman stops them. And Peter Boyle's hand is sticking out of the, the <laughs> coffin or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole scene where both where the <laughs> and I'm so I, I just wonder how many takes I had to do this. But there's all this stuff going on. So so Igor had to, you know, manipulate the hand to make it look like Franken, Dr. Frankenstein's hand. And he had to, you know, play off of what Igor was doing. And the the policeman's probably trying not to laugh to play off of what they're doing. So this whole sequence of blocking that takes place, you don't think about that when you're watching it. You think, oh, that was easy. That was funny. That looked like it was easy to do when in reality, there was a lot that probably went into that scene that said, okay, we have to do this and this and this. All these little details that make a, um, a scene and as a result on a bigger picture, the whole movie feel like it didn't require a lot of effort at all. Everything felt so natural to the cast uh, who were who were just portraying these characters. So, uh, and that made as an audience member, something just, it made me really appreciate it. I agree wholeheartedly. And the cast is phenomenal. Every single one of them. Uh, they very clearly, I said it was a labor of love for them as well. I mean, they, no one phoned it in at any, at any moment. Uh, everyone was just so wonderful in their roles. I, I can't, I can't remember a movie, and part of it is because there's not a lot of them, which is great, right? Because you have better odds of having everybody um, on point. But everybody did such a phenomenal job in what their role was supposed to be. I loved, loved Inga, uh, as Terry Gar as Inga was just Mm -hmm. the perfect assistant. She was attractive, um, and then there's this point, gosh, there's this point, man, where I don't care if she's black and white and from the seventies, she's wearing this sequined dress at the end of the film, mm-hmm. um, the sparkly sequin dress. And I just, Oh man, I was melting, uh, for her. And that's what I was supposed to do. That was the point. Right. right. Um, but it never took it over the top either. 
you know, it didn't, you know, in today's world, <laughs> I don't think that's the kind of comedy we would get. You know, I think we would get a lot more skin and a lot more, uh, sex than we got. And we got, we got some sex jokes in this one. There's, we got, we, you know, it's, it's in there. There's, there's quite a, quite a bit of it actually, um, that gets used and, but it's all much, much more subtle than we would see in today's world. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed that quite a bit. And yeah. then, you know, Gene Wilder, dude, is just a treasure. I, it's, it made me even more sad <laughs> that he's gone um, after seeing this because, you know, for me, it was always Willy Wonka. You know, that was the, the, the role that was going to define him. And I still think that it's probably his best performance, but this is definitely his best comedic performance. You know, it's um, it's interesting that you say that because this is the performance that he plays the straight guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, against uh, against against Marty Feldman's Igor. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny that you mentioned that this is his best comedic performance because that says a lot about his acting chops. Yeah. The fact that he wasn't the one being necessarily the quote obnoxious one. He wasn't being the funny man in this case. He was playing the the Dean Martin to to Igor's. Uh, Jerry Lewis, <laughs> but yet, yeah, but yet he's, he ends up knocking it out of the park, you know, from a humor standpoint. Yeah. It's, it's really, he's just so talented. Just watching him work felt like watching one of the greats practicing their craft. I mean, it did. It felt like it's the same feeling I get when I watch Tom Hanks and I watch Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks to some extent just puts me in a place where I'm, watching a master craftsman create something because I know Mm -hmm. he's that good. And that's what Gene Wilder did in this film. It was like, man, he's, he really is just doing that. He's, he's working this clay and and making this amazing um, creation out of it. And so, you know, then we get to Marty Feldman as, as Igor. Right. And I didn't know that those were his eyes, but they are, (laughs) which is creepy. Um, he's his comedy to me was just so nuanced, you know? And, and I feel like, I feel like Igor specifically could have been really a phoned in role. It could have just been like, ah, you know, I'm just the, the, the laughing stock over here. The, the guy with the hump, I'm just here to kind of make, make funny jokes every once in a while and be slapstick. Uh, but he did so much more than that. And, and he, <laughs> he just increased the overall experience for me significantly with his yeah. performance. I know you love him, right? Gosh, he is, he is my favorite hands down. And, and, and it, there's a, there's a close, there's a, it, there's a close race between him and Peter Boyle's Frankenstein's monster, the monster, I guess. But, but Marty Feldman just, I think he epitomizes what the entire cast did. And that's what, and that's taking ownership and taking pride in the role that you're given. Every person in this movie completely sold out to their role. And it's as I almost want to say it was as if they were saying they were told by Brooks, listen, you're not the lead, but act like you are, you know, just completely embrace the scene, be in your role the entire time that you're on set. You know, if you're in the background, do something that Igor would do in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that he did that where he found ways to be Igor in scenes where he wasn't at the forefront. And it almost felt as though 
most of the scenes that he was in, he made up his lines, even though I know that most of it was scripted, but some of it was improv and some of it was like, for instance, I think there was a piece of trivia about the hump, the hump joke. He kept, I think that somebody had written that he had actually, that, that wasn't, that joke wasn't in the original script and he kept doing like switching it back and forth to see if the cast would notice. And eventually it got written in because it was just something really funny. Uh, that's another thing I like about him specifically about, but about the cast in general is I think Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder and all those guys took notes from each other and they said, how can we make this even better? How can we keep, how can we make this scene go from good to great? And so watching him specifically performing the way he does, again, it felt, it, it reminded me a lot of like a stand up comic. You know, if we're, if we're watching a stand up comedian, we don't think about the fact that this guy has probably, or girl, or, you know, man or woman, have performed in front of a mirror and have gone through joke after joke after joke to go from, you know, one segment to another to another and, you know, making sure that each joke sort of lands in a place where another joke can pick it up. What we see is the finished product, which looks like, you know, a guy that we're hanging out with, having a beer with, uh, is just telling great stories. You know, we don't we see it as almost effortless for a good stand up comedian to do that. And I think this cast did that from an acting standpoint. Again, it felt like they were just sort of making stuff up as they went along, but it but it worked so well. And I forget the fact that this was scripted. This was blocked. Mm -hmm. These scenes were written this way. And uh, so guys like 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 Igor and Peter Boyle, uh, the, <laughs> the late Peter Boyle, he, he had maybe four lines of actual dialogue. Most of it was just grunting and facial features. <laughs> and he owned that role. So you, you can't tell me that people uh, who don't talk aren't good actors. I mean, Charlie Chaplin obviously fits that role. Right. But, but this is what I think is kind of a lost art form when it comes to this type of comedy. We feel like we have to say more than we should, and we feel like we should uh, that, that a good joke is only a great joke if it gets a shock value from its audience. And that's what I really appreciate about Mel Brooks is he doesn't try to go over the top. He gets absurd, but that's different from being over the top. And my brand of comedy that I enjoy the most is that kind of comedy that makes me somewhat work for my, for my laugh because it makes the, uh, like you mentioned before, it just makes the payoff that much better. I, yeah, man, I totally agree. There's, there's like three or four specific, points that I you know really not just laugh the most and I think that's what made this such a special experience for me as a comedy is this is not something where I was just gut laughing the entire film it was chuckles it was the glance across the room at my kids or my roommate and their eyebrows going down and everybody just shaking their head together in unison <laughs> like did that just really happen it's it's that kind of stuff it's it's werewolf Werewolf, you know, like oh, who? Yes. Like that's Their so castle. dumb, but it's the best thing ever when he says that. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, it's finding the humor in the fact that when they're going up the the uh, the staircase, uh, Frau Blucher, who's amazing, closely <laughs> incredible. I'm not there yet, but it has impeccable comedic timing, and she's going up the the staircase right and she's got this candlestick and she keeps talking about how uh he needs to put the candle back right there there's there's all these scenes with like put the candle back and and there's <laughs> candles all over the place and the only one 
that's not lit is the one she's carrying. And she tells him, she's like, stay close to the light. There's no light, lady. It's not lit. You know, like every other candle's lit. Every one you're passing is lit, but not the one you're holding. And it's it's that kind of stuff where it's almost like the cast is not aware of it, but we're aware of it, which makes yeah. it more funny. Um, yeah. the What you just referenced, the horse neighing scene. The thing that I love about that the most, yeah, it's funny. Just the fact that they neigh every time she's her name is said. But the, the best part of that whole scene to me is the fact that at the end of that, Igor comes out and pokes his head and just grins and then walks away. Like it's <laughs> it's so subtle, right? Right. And these kind of jokes don't tell you they don't have to tell you why they're funny. They just are funny. Right. Right. And so I love that. I love, I love, and then there's one other one that I just, I, I, I gut laughed. I, mean, I did, I gut laughed. I chuckled and then it erupted into a gut laugh. And that is when they are on the monster hunt at the end, toward the end, the village people are on the, are hunting for Frankenstein. And they're walking through the forest and one guy just randomly walks into a tree and falls over. <laughs> and it's for no reason. And the movie doesn't stop and zoom in on him and, and people around him laugh at him to draw attention mm-hmm. to it, right? Again, it lets the audience have that moment for themselves. And right. us noticing that, us paying attention, we're rewarded with something that's genuinely just a, a joyful, humorous scene. Right. And, and Mel Brooks brings these four types of, of comedy into what I think are all of his movies. Um, I, 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 and the first to tell you, I haven't seen all of his movies yet i've seen you know most of the uh, i don't think i've seen history of the world part one but um but but these four types of comedy physical verbal nonverbal, and scenic all exist in in most of his his movies and and like you you know when we when we think of i think you and i would agree that when we think of a funny comedy we think of one that's highly quotable right yeah for sure um, i mean that's that's definitely what I mean, the best ones to me would be are ones that I can make jokes about throughout my day. Right. And so I'm even right now, I'm like even looking at, at this, this big poster that I got or this big print that I got for one of our wedding presents that has all these great lines from movies, uh, not necessarily like funny lines, but just, you know, famous quotable lines from movies. What's interesting is that if you tried to quote a line from this movie out of context, like if you just were randomly going, uh, you know, you would sound like an insane person just randomly doing that. And Side I know you, know you do sound like an insane person. <laughs> or if I were to say, where wolf there castle, you know, that's just awesome. It, it, it's great in context if you haven't seen the movie, but it's almost like the everything set up and the way that this comedy works, it's almost like a big inside joke for people that have seen the movie. And of course, yeah, when you quote lines from movies that people haven't gotten and other people have seen the movie, it is sort of an inside joke. But movies like Mel, Mel Brooks's uh, Young Frankenstein allow themselves to be almost an even more, you know, insider, uh, inside joke exclusivity to them because they can't necessarily be quoted or, or even appreciate it without seeing the entire movie because all these all these jokes take place in context. Mm-hmm. The fact that most of these are physically like for instance, like I love the the scenic comedy of this movie. Like I love when uh, when Igor goes to 
the brain depository, which I don't know if there was ever such a thing as a brain depository. But if you look on the door, it says, it says, <laughs> don't slip after, your phone. Don't yeah, slip in brains. Five, <laughs> yeah. After 5 p.m., slip brains through slot and oh, door. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, the, the, the book that Dr. Frankenstein finds, his grandfather's book, um, on um, all of his work was aptly titled How I Did It. <laughs> you know, things yep. like just things like that. You can't you can't quote that. You have to and even if you try to describe it like I just did, if you haven't seen the movie, you're going, well that doesn't sound funny. But it is in context. And that's what I think is makes makes Young Frankenstein specifically and maybe Brooks's comedy in general so deliciously fun to to watch and experience is that you have to, um, is that you have to, uh, you have to really be in that moment. You have to be in the movie itself and you have to understand in context what, where these jokes come from to really appreciate it. And so when you find somebody else who knows those jokes and you can say, you know, their castle, you know, if you, if you say that just out of context, you know that someone who, someone who's seen it is going to go, ha young Frankenstein. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what, what knockers, <laughs> which would sound perverted <laughs> unless you knew that I was quoting young Frankenstein. It's still a little perverted, but yes, I completely <laughs> agree. And, and that is one of the joys of it is that connection that movies like this allow us to have with other people, with other fans. That's what we talked about kind of earlier was, you know, it's the fun of being able to talk about it with someone, the fun of being only having that shared experience. I, I actually would love to go see this in a theater, like with a bunch of people, because I think it's one that, you know, you're going to get a lot of out loud laughing and a lot of muffled quotes, just like any, you go see a musical, famous musical in a theater if I go see Les Mis or Wicked, there's lots of people singing under their breaths, and I like that because we're having a sh- we have that connection to that material, a shared experience, right? Yeah, a shared experience, and you're gonna get that in this. And you know, I just I've already started quoting it, uh, and my kids and I have already started quoting it. We did it all weekend, so the whole "you just made a yummy" sound is now one of our favorite things to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, the next time. The next time something happens, I'm saying, oh, sweet mystery of life. At last I've found you. <laughs> I can't wait <laughs> to use that line. Oh, man, it is so good. It is just a great movie. Um, it really is. Hands down. <laughs> and the one of the thing I wanted to specifically call out was just the atmosphere of this because it is black and white. And I had no idea why it was going to be black and white. I thought for sure maybe it was going to go color in the middle of it or something crazy was going to happen. Uh, but it was such an amazing choice for this movie. And I, I'm sure it harkens back to the fact that the originals, you know, were in black and white. Um, but the cinematography for when this was made is excellent. And it captures the tone of the story perfectly. And I feel like the fact that he filmed the whole thing in black and white just gave it this, like, stripped down ominousness to it. And it really allowed us to focus on the character interaction instead of getting distracted with pretty colors and scenery around us that was like shiny you know we weren't like being being distracted and and having our attention drawn to those those parts of the screen we got to really get there with the characters Mm -hmm. Um, and so i thought it was just an amazing choice and it was an awesome atmosphere for this film 
Yeah, there was definitely some deliberate stuff going on in that opening credit sequence. I mean, one, it was black and white, which I believe he fought for. In fact, I think he went to whatever studio he ended up not going with first, and they refused to release it in black and white. And he said, well, fine, I'm going to go someplace else. And so the studio that did end up releasing it was fine with it. But you open it up with that ominous violin music that then becomes like the theme for Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. And there's those long tracking shots leading up to the castle. And so you're you're getting sort of put into the moment, as you mentioned, of what this type of movie is going to be. But you're then at the very end of that opening sequence, you get the Mel Brooks moment where a guy cracks open, you know, Frankenstein's coffin and then he tries to pull out the box and you expect him to just pull it away slowly and no he struggles he's trying to he grab it and he eventually has to like yank it from this old dead body's hands <laughs> and to me you got two things in that opening sequence you got a tribute to the old universal horror movies and you got the in- introduction of a mel brooks comedy and to me that's the you know those are the those are the moments where you're being told two things that you're going to experience at the same time throughout the the movie. Oh, it's a beautiful marriage, man. Yeah. It's a beautiful marriage. And you know what else is a beautiful marriage is the thing that I would probably label as my connecting point for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't necessarily believe that I ha- I did not have a connecting point in the way that we usually do. This is this is a comedy, and this is a straight comedy. So this is not something that has drama parts involved, where you know we're really getting in touch with the characters' feelings, and they're going through this long journey and growing and becoming new people or being redeemed or anything like that. Um, and so it's a little bit of a different type of watch than some films that we do. And so my connecting point was really just something that I would use the word epic to describe. And (laughs) it was the moment that my kids and I all agreed was our favorite part of the movie. And so that's my connecting point for this one is just because it brought me so much joy. And that is the dance number of Gene Wilder. Yes. And Frankenstein doing putting on the Ritz because (laughs) I did not see it coming. Did not see it coming. It caught me completely off guard and my jaw dropped and I was in it and I loved every single second of it. (laughs) That's so good, man. That is so good because that's my connecting point too. And I I believe you said this, that connecting points, they don't have to be deep or thought provoking. I mean, um, I believe that a good movie leaves a lasting impression and in the same way that when I when I watch a movie like Ex Machina, that it's a fantastic movie. If I'm talking to someone about a movie or a scene that stood out to you in Ex Machina, it was a dance sequence because it kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it didn't deter from the overall movie. And this rendition of Putting on the Ritz, uh, which anytime I hear that song, I'm always going to hear Peter Boyle's <laughs> as I've done it before, I won't do it again for the sake of losing, <laughs> losing, losing more listeners. Um, but I will always picture him and hear him and see them doing this dance sequence to this classic tune. And to me, it's important because it's like if I 
like you, if I, if I remembered a particular scene from a movie, uh, I mentioned this uh, on an other, earlier episode that remembering a particular scene makes me come back to watch a movie. And then as I watch it again, I get a new experience and appreciate more and like more about a movie. So the rewatchability value increases with each viewing. Um, but having that alone uh, didn't make this this particular scene stand out for me as much as uh, a little piece that I read from IMDb about the story behind this scene. And I just want to kind of read this directly from, uh, from the, from the website. Yeah, man, go for uh, it. Uh, it says Gene Wilder conceived the, uh, putting on the Ritz scene while Mel Brooks was resistant to it as a mere conceit and felt it would detract from the fidelity to universal horror films, uh, in, in the rest of the film. So Wilder recalls being quote, close to rage and tears and argued for the scene before Brooks stopped him and said, it's in. When Wilder asked why he had changed his mind, Brooks said that since Wilder had fought for it, then it would be the right thing to do. But it was only when he soon saw the musical number along with the howling audience that Brooks was finally confident about the sequence, uh, end quote. So my memory of that scene and revisiting it again, coupled with this bit of trivia, just makes it so much more valuable to think that a guy like the late Gene Wilder fought to keep something that he thought was not only funny for its own sake, but really enhanced the viewing experience and to see the director of the film have so much value in his opinion that he said, you know what, it's in. I trust you, even before seeing the audience's reaction and then getting that payoff of seeing the audience just love it. Uh, it's, it's so cool. I, I love seeing writer, I, I love seeing you know, actor-director relationships like that and how they work together. How when you know, a director says, I'm not hiring you because you're a great actor, I'm hiring you because you're important to the movie beyond just what you can do on screen. Mm -hmm. The fact that I saw both their names on the screen story and screenplay made me, I mean, I, wouldn't, I, mean, I wasn't proud like a dad, but I was proud in a sense of saying, Gene Wilder's not just this. And, and, and it, just, it was so cool. And to know that he fought to put this scene in and how it became probably the most iconic scene in the movie. I wish this was the last scene of the movie. I was a little surprised at the fact that we had like 30 more minutes of movie left after this because this felt like, Okay, that's the exclamation point. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but for me, putting on the Ritz, that whole sequence, I could watch over and over again on its own. It's one of the few things that I could just say, let me just pull this out and watch it for a couple of minutes because that would make me happy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's, it was definitely the best part for me uh, in a movie that I loved and in a movie that I could watch over and over again. And that's kind of what I'll say in closing is it, it was a film that I legitimately could have been happy starting it over and that that doesn't happen i don't do that i've heard of people who do that i don't do that i don't watch movies like that and i certainly don't i don't watch movies on repeat ever hardly i mean very very rare we're talking only a select couple movies that i might watch even once a year um the ones i own of the ones i own rather um but for me to want to watch a movie again immediately i it just doesn't happen for me and so this was one I could have, and I, I think I'm going to, to be honest with you. I'm ready to watch it again now. I'm ready to put it on and just go through it again. It's it's an amazing film. Um, I, seriously, I, I title it Comedic Perfection, and I, I, can't, I can't really say anything else about it that's higher than that. So that's where I'm at. And Very I'm glad cool, we man. did it. I'm glad we did it. Me too, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, as we wrap this sucker up, uh, I wanted to read one of our most recent iTunes reviews. We talked about this last week that we were going to do this. 
and this particular review stood out to me and it just it's something that really humbles both Patrick and I uh, to hear these words it makes us grateful for your your listening to us uh, that you're getting value out of this we appreciate that and it makes us want to prepare and and you know provide you the best content we can uh, under the umbrella of what we're trying to do here with positive honesty so we got this review um, and the username is watchman 7r so i don't know who you are watchman 7r you're not you're definitely not like somebody i pay to write a review so <laughs> that's awesome um <laughs> But Watchman writes, In the thick fog of overly harsh criticism too heavily infesting the film world, Aaron and Patrick cut through like a crisp, sharp, refreshing grasp. Ga- <laughs> refreshing grasp. Aaron and Patrick cut through like a crisp, sharp, refreshing gasp of mountain air on a summer morning. There's simply no other way to describe this caliber of conversation. Honesty, thoughtfulness, and most of all, feeling. If you enjoy movies and love fun, engaging movie talk, well then, simply put, welcome home. Man, I, we just want to say thank you for that because, again, that drives us. Um, it makes us feel somewhat validated, um, and it just makes us happy that you know you love the show and we love doing it. And you know, you are a fantastic writer as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope you're in the Facebook group interacting with us because I'd love to hear more of your thoughts and for anybody out there iTunes reviews are so important and so impactful to the sh- to the growth of this show and to any podcast it means a lot when you take the few minutes out of your day to go to the iTunes store because you can't do it any other way you have to go to iTunes uh, and you go there and you you know click click the rating and write some words about us it does mean a lot and that's why we want to highlight some of these that are just Man, I could read them over and over. It just makes my face glow. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, indeed. I, I have, as someone who is probably less involved, or at least at first has been was less involved in the whole podcast community, uh, at least compared to my, my counterpart here, I am overwhelmed at not only just the interaction that we've gotten to be a part of with, uh, with you, the listeners, but to hear that kind of feedback. And to know that, look, I mean, we ask you to do it, but we don't force you to. I mean, this is so seeing reviews like that and hearing feedback through uh, through tweets and things like that. Um, we, we say it a lot, and we're going to continue to say it. You guys make the show what it is. Uh, you you just you remind us that it's a great thing to talk about movies. And, um, there are weeks, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest, there are some weeks then it, it does feel kind of like a job because we're reviewing week after week. But, uh, at the end of the whole thing, I think we both, you and I both agree, Aaron, that once we finish an episode, we're like, man, that was good. That was fun. Let's, let's keep doing it. Always. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for your feedback and thank you, uh, for your just continued support in, in any way that you've been doing it and continue to do it. So we are very, very appreciative. All right. Well, if you would like to appreciate us more or get in the conversation with us, that's what we we love and that's what we want. So if you can find me on uh, social media anywhere and everywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can interact with the show on Twitter and Facebook at Feelin' Film, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M. Uh, you can get us uh, on the website, feelinfilm.com. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the show, the Facebook group, I like to say it in the tweets that I send out, but that's where the magic happens. 
Uh, it is. The conversations just get better and better, and we'd love to have you come be a part of those as well. Patrick, where can they uh, interact with you? I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. Uh, you can find both of those handles from the Twitter place and from Facebook. You can also find out more about me at thisispatch.com. We've recently just launched our official Instagram account. Uh, that's where it's the feeling film podcast. There's not much there, so, um, <laughs> you won't be finding much to follow, but it's some, it's another way that we can, uh, get, um, get our, our name out there and uh, allow us to, um, just interact more with the, the Instagrammers. <laughs> so, uh, next week we are going to be reviewing Nate Parker's birth of a nation. We're getting back into the theaters once again, and it's definitely a movie that's getting plenty of Oscar buzz. I'm pretty excited about it. How about you, Aaron? Me too. I love uh, historical films and want to see what they bring. I'm excited for this one. It's one of the many coming this fall that I think are going to help break that nasty trend of last year's Oscars So White. Uh, so excited to see if this one holds up to all the praise I've seen it getting. Me too. Well, I enjoyed it, and I'm excited to get back with you next week. But I guess until then, just do what you guys always do and stay positive. And keep feeling film. <laughs>